Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market, featuring wallet-happy finds like cold smoked Atlantic salmon and more. Have you ever felt like you just weren't good enough? Like maybe you don't deserve to have a seat at the table? And sometimes, does that feeling make you think you're going crazy? I mean, what is that feeling anyway? This is NPR's Life Kit. I'm Diana Opong. On this episode, we're going to explore the imposter phenomenon. I'm on a mission to better understand the factors that contribute to experiencing this feeling. We'll explore what it is, why it happens, who tends to be affected, along with the impact of societal messaging. And to be completely honest, this is a slightly selfish mission, because the thing I want to know most of all, is there a cure? We are recording. Perfect. Great. The voice you just heard is my mentor, Catherine. She worked at the New York Times for 18 years, but now she has a new gig. I'm Catherine St. Louis, and I am an editor at Nianha Media. I'm a podcast editor. One of the things that happened is you helped me get to the place that we're at today, which is not something I could have foreseen. You sent me a pitch request via email saying that LifeKit was looking for ideas. And I was like, uh, it says experienced producers. That kind of makes me scared. Do you remember what you wrote back to me in your email? Yeah, I said something like, get over your imposter syndrome. You can do this. How did you know that's what I was experiencing in that moment? I'm not sure I, I totally knew, but... I feel like most people feel imposter syndrome at one time or another. For me, imposter syndrome feels like this horrible voice in your head, like this mean girl. She has your voice and she's like, Catherine, you suck. Like, she's super mean. (laughs) I was surprised when Catherine told me that she struggles with feeling like an imposter, mainly because I thought feeling like an imposter went away once someone had made it. And to me, she had. I think imposter syndrome doesn't go away just because you achieve certain goals or you have a certain resume or you went to a certain school or you worked at a place like the New York Times. Even when I worked there, I stayed quite anxious about whether or not I was doing enough. And you can imagine when you're surrounded by people who do a lot of great work, it only feeds your imposter syndrome in a way because you're like, do I belong here? Let's examine where this idea came from and exactly what it means to feel like an imposter. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market. Featuring wallet-happy finds like cold smoked Atlantic salmon, mini quiches, organic everything bagels, and more. Plus, visit the floral department and jazz up your table with a beautiful bouquet of big, bright, sourced-for-good flowers. When the brunch has to be perfect and delicious, go to your local Whole Foods Market. 
1978, as graduate students, Suzanne Imes and Pauline Rose Clance coined the term imposter phenomenon after realizing they both felt like they weren't good enough to be doing their graduate studies. And many of the female students they were teaching felt the exact same way. When I reached out to Dr. Imes, who's a practicing therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, and she agreed to do this interview, I told her my imposter feelings were raging like a fire. And she told me she understood and that she would be nervous too. I'm a little bit anxious always about doing these sorts of things. We decided to be anxious together. Real quick, you've heard me say imposter phenomenon, and you may be wondering, what's that about? Most people are probably more familiar with the term imposter syndrome. The imposter phenomenon is actually not a syndrome in the medical sense of the word. But it has become popularized as the imposter syndrome because I guess it has two syllables instead of four. While doing their graduate work, Dr. Imes and Dr. Clance's research revealed that there are two types of people. There are people who tend to overestimate their abilities and some people who tend to underestimate their abilities. People who feel like imposters tend to underestimate their abilities. I first experienced the imposter phenomenon my senior year of high school. My GPA wasn't that great, and I worried I couldn't get into a good college. When I finally did get into college, I felt like a total imposter. Like I didn't belong or deserve to be there. Sometimes we feel things and don't always have the words to express what we're going through. So let's define what the imposter phenomenon is. The imposter phenomenon is a feeling by many high-achieving people that they're not as intelligent, as bright, as creative, as able as other people think they are. And they live in a constant fear that somebody's going to find that out. Before we can work through any of this, we have to be able to identify it and understand it. That brings us to takeaway number one. Awareness is a key factor in helping yourself with the imposter phenomenon. The worry and anxiety that comes with feeling like an imposter can show up for people in a variety of ways. There's a cycle that starts with you may have bad dreams, you may have a lot of worry, you may have a lot of anxiety because you have been given a task to do. Let's say you have some kind of assignment like doing this podcast <laughs> and you start feeling anxious about oh dear I'm not good enough I don't know how to do this so you start worrying about it you may feel immobilized you can't get ready for it you may procrastinate or you may get started early and just work and work and work and way over prepare Hearing that definition was really helpful for me because I didn't realize that I was an over-preparer. Being able to manage feeling like an imposter may seem hard, and that's because sometimes it is hard. Author and trauma therapist Andy Kolber says, naming reality helps us find our way through it. Naming it also means recognizing other people feel like this too. It's a shared experience. I set up a Google alert, and in just a few hours, I started to see interviews with celebrities describing these feelings. 
from actress and Honest Company founder Jessica Alba to Golden Globe Award winner Aquafina. There is no amount of money or fame that can call the imposter phenomenon. So what can you do? Dr. Im says being kind to yourself, giving yourself credit, and taking stock of your true talents can help. And that's takeaway number two. Have self-compassion. Be self-soothing. Say, I'm going to do okay. I did okay last time. I know enough about this. I don't have to be perfect. Perfectionism gets in the way so much with people with imposter feelings. They have to do it perfectly. They have to be fabulous, not just good. All right? You know about that? Yeah. A <laughs> little bit. A uh-huh. little bit. So if you can learn that you don't have to be perfect, you can just be good. It's essential to have grace for yourself. No one is perfect. We're all trying the best we can. A technique that Dr. Imes uses with her clients and even for herself involves making a list. Get a piece of paper and make three columns. And in the first column, I'm not so good at. In the second column, I'm medium good at. In the third column, I'm very good at. And you write all the things you can think of. Dr. Imes walked me through what she puts in her three columns, starting with not so good at. Like I'm terrible at directions, never have been very good at that. And then I might tell them something I'm kind of medium good at, like fixing things around the house. Then I'll tell them something I'm very good at, which is critical thinking or global thinking. Okay, I'm very good at that. I also like to tell them I'm very good at ping pong. (laughs) Writing a list can help, and that's a great second step in the process of managing this feeling. But what's the root cause of all of this? Is this something people just internalize and create all on their own? As a Black woman to a Black woman, it's also what our culture is telling us. And that leads us to takeaway number three. We must acknowledge the societal impact that influences this feeling. Different racial and even gender groups are messaged various things about their place in society. What we see, hear, and read can intensify this phenomenon. Part of the work that I do is putting things into context current context, historical context, because that brings a great awareness of where everything fits. That was Dr. Andrea Salazar-Nunez. She's a staff psychologist at the University of Washington Counseling Center, and she also runs her own private practice where she specializes in racial trauma. So what may feel hysterical, when you put it in context, it may look more historical. Whoa. What may feel hysterical with context may look historical. I had never thought of it like that before. Hearing that made me feel like maybe I wasn't effective in some way all of these years. Maybe this is why just willing myself to be more confident hadn't been working. So many times, especially for people of color, women of color, like were gaslighted, dismissed, um, invalidated, um, ignored when we bring up these things. And so then we think we're, you know, going crazy or there's something wrong with me. The first time I experienced a sense of dissonance related to my worth and my skin color was in middle school. A male teacher of color told me that because I was Black, I had to work twice as hard as everyone else. I was only 12. As a Ghanaian immigrant, my parents told me that 
All we had to do was work hard like everyone else, and we could make a good life for ourselves. So to be told that I had to work twice as hard because of the color of my skin was shocking. Is it fair to say that people of color sort of have a class of contributing factors that other people don't? Yeah. For people of color, and especially women of color, that imposter syndrome is influenced by the messaging that we've received from day one being born as a woman of color, person of color in this country. But my mentor, Catherine, works hard not to dwell on this. I don't want to believe what America thinks of Black women. I want to believe that I can do better than that. So I could spend a lot of time paralyzed, or I could put that in a box and be like, you know what? I know what I'm capable of, and I'm going to just show you. Watch me. We've talked a lot about women and how this impacts them, but obviously this does impact men and men of color as well. Um, Is that something that you see? And if so, does it manifest in a different way for men than it does women? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question because I think there are some differences in the way it manifests. My name is Victor Iveyes. I'm 28 years old. I live in Missoula, Montana, and I am a Mexican-American. Imposter syndrome has kind of always been there, though I didn't know that's what it was. I wouldn't have called it that for the longest time. Now that I reflect on it, maybe that that is what I was feeling. I doubt everything that I'm doing because I don't know if I'm doing a lot of it right. I don't have a good answer as to why I feel these things. I, I just know that I feel like I'm faking it till I make it, you know? That was my friend Victor. And that thing he just said about how he didn't realize it at the time, that's really common. The socialization of men in general, they're not really encouraged to, to express emotions more like stereotypically. And um, I think that impacts their ability to recognize that I'm feeling like I'm an imposter um, and, and identify that, right? They just right away internalize that there must be something wrong with me, right? Like, why can't I show up? My conversation with Victor made me think of what Catherine said earlier about how she works to not be paralyzed by cultural messaging. But then I wondered, what exactly is the best way to even begin doing that? Dr. Salazar Nunez told me one way to help push through when societal messaging leaves you feeling drained and unworthy is to ask for help. And that's takeaway number four. Really making sure they connect with um, community or a support system or at least one other person, right? Because with... um, like community or or another person or or support system comes um, like validation, right? Like, oh, you're experiencing that too? So am I, and we're not alone. I have spent many years taking pride in being able to figure things out on my own, but that's been a bit of a trap. Catherine shared some good insights on this. I think the message I got was I was supposed to know everything already. When I think the best people in the business when it comes to journalism, when it comes to podcasting, are constantly asking questions. You cannot grow if you don't ask for help. It's essential to ask for help. Look to people who you are hoping to learn from and accept that you don't have to be an expert. It won't make you look weak. Create community and build up your support system. I didn't realize it until after the fact, but talking to Victor made me feel better. It was nice to know that he understood exactly what I was talking about. Dr. Eim says there's also another aspect to asking for help, though. Ask our friends not to say, you're going to do great. Don't worry about it. That's not helpful. 
it's sort of dismissing. It's not acknowledging how you feel. So you have to educate your friends about how to be with you. Tell them how th- what the kind of support that you need right now is not to be told that you're going to be great, but to understand your anxiety, your fear, your feelings, and say, I'll be here for you. Call me when you're done. Letting your friends and support network know how they can help you when you're experiencing imposter feelings can help to stabilize you and make you feel grounded as you prepare for that next meeting or phone call where you're feeling unsure of yourself. While I was researching Dr. Imes, I read on her website that she has a motto. Less judgment, more curiosity. Getting curious about emotions is a big part of mindfulness and meditation, and Life Kit has a lot of episodes about managing anxiety. It has to do with not judging anything about ourselves, ideally about other people, too. That we be aware of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're experiencing, and not judging that. And this, my friends, is our fifth and final takeaway. Take a break when the pressure is high and be curious about how you're feeling. Sometimes taking a moment to take a few deep breaths can help. Making sure to get a good night's sleep can also help you feel balanced when you get off center and are feeling unworthy. For Catherine, she goes for a run. Victor shared what he does to help manage the stress of feeling like an imposter. Little things like doing yoga in the morning or eating healthy, going to bed on time, all these little things that kind of affect the bigger picture of who I am. And I do feel a lot better. I do have a lot less anxiety and it's it's very, it's noticeable. I think we're all pros now at knowing some ways to master feeling like an imposter. But what I still need to know, is there a cure? So I asked Dr. Imes. Do you ever get over it? Are you ever cured? No. But it does get better. (sighs) Okay, not exactly the answer I was hoping to hear, but it's not all bad news. Dr. Imes says the imposter phenomenon will start to wane as you get older. When I was younger, I had to achieve, achieve, achieve. I have three master's degrees and a doctorate. That is ridiculous. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. But I'm 76 years old. And I still love being a psychologist and a therapist. And I think that, you know, I said, well, okay, I know how to do this, so I have to do it or I should do it. No, I don't have those shoulds the way I used to. And Catherine sees this too. I would actually say that now that I am 46, I want to dial back on my perfectionism. I don't think it did me any favors. I think I went a little too far. Seriously, cut yourself some slack. So to recap, much to my chagrin, there is no magic cure for the imposter phenomenon. But good news, there are many tools to help manage it when it starts to rear its ugly head. Takeaway number one, be aware of how you're feeling. Awareness is a key factor in helping yourself with the imposter phenomenon. There are going to be good days and bad days, and your worth is not tied to the lies in your head. Takeaway number two, be kind. Give yourself credit and take stock of your true talents. Have self-compassion. Be self-soothing. And by making a list, you can get a realistic picture of who you are and your skills and abilities. 
Takeaway number three, acknowledge the societal impact that influences this feeling. Accept that people who are in groups where they are the minority can experience an increase in imposter feelings. Takeaway number four, ask for help. It's incredibly important to connect with community around this. Talking about this feeling with friends or colleagues can help you feel validated and supported and also removes the pressure of feeling like you have to process this all on your own. Takeaway number five, take a break when the pressure is high and be curious about how you're feeling. Like Dr. Im says, less judgment, more curiosity. Don't judge yourself. Take some deep breaths. Get a good night's sleep when you can or take a nap if that helps. If exercise is your thing, you can do that too. Whatever healthy choice you think may help reset your mind. For more Life Kit, check out our other episodes. We have one on how to curb people-pleasing habits. That's one of my favorites. And one on how to have a great conversation. You can find those at npr.org slash lifekit. And if you love Life Kit and want more, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. If you've got a good tip, we love getting those. Leave us a voicemail at 202-216-9823. Or you can email us a voice memo at lifekit at npr.org. This episode was produced by the amazing Sylvie Douglas. Megan Kane is the managing producer. Beth Donovan is the senior editor. Thank you guys so much for taking a chance on me. Our digital editors are Beck Harlan and Claire Lombardo, and our editorial assistant is Claire Marie Schneider. Some of the music for this episode was composed by Stephen Perry. Special thanks to Dr. Suzanne Imes, Dr. Andrea Salazar-Nunez, Victor Iveas, Luis Perez, Catherine St. Louis, Carrie O'Neill, Sway Stewart, Renee Beauregard-Lute, Stephen Perry, and everyone who supported me on this episode. I'm Diana Olpong. Thanks for listening. We are still in the middle of this pandemic. And right now, having science news you can trust, from variants to vaccines, is essential. NPR Shortwave has your back. About 10 minutes every weekday, listen and subscribe to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.